Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for dads in their 40s who want to improve their health and fitness. This is episode 44, and joining me on today's show is Patrick McEwen from The Oxygen Advantage international best-selling author of The Oxygen Advantage and the creator and master instructor of The Oxygen Advantage Technique, Patrick McEwen is widely regarded as one of the world's leading breath re-education experts. Whether you're a weekend warrior or an Olympic athlete, McEwen teaches you a fast, simple and certain way to revolutionise your sports performance and improve your daily well-being and health. Hi, Patrick. Thanks very much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? Good, Darren. How are you? Yes, very well, thank you. And um, we've been talking just before we started recording about the whole COVID-19 effects and, and everything else, but um, you're all fine and uh, nicely situated in the countryside, so hopefully we'll we'll avoid any impact with this. Well, as best as we can. You know, it's going to be time will tell, but uh, there are things yeah. that you can be doing and maybe this will come up in conversation. Yeah, Absolutely. So before we get into the conversation, Patrick, can you give us a bit of background on yourself and how you came to, to start the Oxygen Advantage and to where you're at today? Sure. I came across respiration and breathing exercises back in 1998, and I was using them prim- primarily for my own health, for sleep issues, for asthma, and for an agitated and racing mind. So I was a chronic mouth breather for about 20 years and with that upper chest breathing and fast breathing and I never realized the impact that my breathing was having on my health and my performance, my concentration. I was the guy going into school as a kid and having to spend a lot of hours studying because if you don't have the ability to hold your concentration of what you're doing, um, in order for you to get the grades, you have to put in a lot more work and that happened in university and I, you know, I got a degree from university in Dublin called Trinity College in Dublin and a degree in economics and I went into the corporate world. I was highly stressed environment. I absolutely hated it. Um, I hated the manipulation of the corporations on the employees and the, the comp- competitive nature of pitting employees against each other. And at the same time, management and I was middle management um we were approaching it with, with a big smile and underneath that would be absolute rootlessness, but that yeah. wasn't how it was put out there. So, you know, I came across just one thing that really made a huge difference to my own health. And then I decided that maybe I'd like to work in this field. So so I changed careers and I, I retrained in respiration and I finished up in Russia in 2002. Right. And I was working then mainly with people with asthma, people with sleep apnea, people with snoring people with anxiety, depression, high stress levels. And then in 2012, I decided to reach out then in terms of, could we reduce lactic acid in sports performance? So I started going down that and that that was an absolute rabbit hole. Um, So then a book called The Oxygen Advantage came out of it. I was four years writing it and our three years writing it was published in 2015, but that kind of took off. So it's now in 14 different languages and, um, 
Yeah, it's, it's really gone out throughout the world in terms of respiration and the power of the breath. Because I have to say, Darren, usually when people, when you're talking about breathing, people think it's a, it's a bunch of tree huggers and these guys with the open, the open sandal brigade. But one thing about breath is um, that it's, it's incredible when you tap into it and when you do it right. And I would say for anybody who's wishing to improve their performance, mental performance, improve their sleep, their concentration and um, physical exercise that, uh, yeah, watch the space. And that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is like you say, it is fascinating. And, uh, and the funny thing is, is when you actually talk to people about breath work uh, and breathing, that they look at you very strangely, don't they? Cause they're kind of like, well, we do that naturally every day. Yeah. Um, but that's the point, you know, you do it naturally and unconsciously every day. And like you said, you know, you don't really fully understand the powers of it. Um, yeah. and, and I, and I discovered it probably about a year ago. I now put it into my daily morning routine and it has a, made a massive impact. And, I think if people listening haven't really tried it, you know, they really need to, to kind of listen to the whole episode to really understand the true benefits of it. So yep. I just want to take you to take you back, Patrick, because, you know, that's quite a big transition from being in the corporate world to obviously, you know, discovering breathwork and then deciding you're going to make the jump into it. So what was, you know, what was that transition like and how did you know, how did that come about in terms of you being able to build a business in this space? Um, so, yeah, I was on a car journey. Like, I live in the west coast of Ireland, and I was just on a car journey to towards Dublin. And um, thought came into my head that I'd love to be teaching it. And right. it just felt good. You know, it wasn't based yeah. on logic because I had absolutely no background in health, knew nothing about it. Um, and the only thing that I had was um, the experience of applying it to my own health, and seeing my own energy levels improving and then looking back and how mouth breathing affected and fast upper chest breathing affected my entire life. So I contacted the Russian embassy and they contacted, got in touch with the people in Moscow. Uh, Dr. Buteko was around at the time and that was originally what I had learned. Right. And I opened up a small little office and you know what, sometimes the naivety of the individual who is starting up a business can be a great friend. Yeah. Um, I contacted a local newspaper. They put a small article about it in the, okay. in the newspaper, and that got me my first three clients. And from 2002, then I wrote a book in 2003. I wrote another book in 2004, and I started putting the books out there. And I had a major drive in terms of I hated my previous employment. Okay. And sometimes you have to go through a bit of hardship, and that hardship can be a great motivator. Yeah. And it's really, you know, I just found it was an American multinational. It was a company yeah. called Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Right. And I'm not here to give out about Enterprise or anything like that, but I'm here to give out about the, not even to give out about it, but just to make people aware that sometimes you're in a job that you absolutely don't like. And I think a lot of people are in that situation. Yeah. Now, when I was in that job, I still applied myself to the best that I could do. And what I learned in the three years working with enterprise managing people and managing people can be tough. Yeah. I was able to carry that information and that knowledge and, and um, experience into setting up for myself. So I set up my own business and we were lucky. I, you know, I got, I kept it very, very small. I had mm -hmm. costs down to an absolute minimum. 
Um, I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have a house. I wasn't married. Um, I gave up my company car. I did without a car. And I literally just put everything into it. And um, I have to say, a lot of it was gut feeling. And the other thing was, I said, well, if it didn't work out, I've nothing to lose. Because at yeah. the very least, I've gained, you know, if I had to fold after one year, at the very least, I'd gained one years of great experience. And that was back in my 20s. But touch wood, it, it was, um, we survived a recession. And we're currently doing, you know, and not even, it's not all about, it's not about business. But I think right. it's important that when you are working in a healthcare field, and when you are, you know, doing a job that you love to do, it's important also that you can pay the bills. And um, because otherwise, you just can't do it. No, that's true. And I think, you know, to, to pick up on what you're talking about the corporate world, you know, I was in a in a similar position back in 2014. And, and at the time, I didn't realize it, but now realize that it was the greatest opportunity I've been given and, and made mm-hmm. redundant from a highly stressful um, yeah. corporate career um, in the city of London, working for a hedge fund. And and I think, you know, there's a lot of dads in, in that same position who are in a job because that's that that's what they think you know that that life is all about that's the only way to kind of earn a living and and like you said we're not here to talk about business but what the point i want to make is that you know corporate life can be and is very very stressful Mm -hmm. Um, and you know this um skill that you've developed uh, and you that you've learned can be hugely beneficial in you know in stress in all other areas of life so i think it's really important that people kind of understand that and and you know we'll go into the detail but i think that's just a a point i wanted to yeah yeah and darren i'd also make the point like i was really highly stressed and it might not necessarily have been the company the company was definitely part of it but it was my ability to handle stress i didn't have an ability to handle stress and I was also, my concentration was affected. And, yeah. you know, I often, I was writing a book back in 2010, and it was about anxiety. And I was thinking about, I was when I went to Uppsala University on an Erasmus exchange, it's a university in Sweden, and I worked for an Irish bar, and uh, I was doing dishwashing just for my time, earning a few bob as I went to university. But I remember one chef would come in, and this chef would be able to deliver the meals absolutely perfect on time, Everything was good. The quality of food was good. And another chef would come in and with a similar amount of workload, um, he would collapse. And literally, he wasn't able to keep up. He wasn't able to put his attention on what he was doing. And he got stressed about it. And I often wondered, here's two guys. They were about the same age, the same training. But how can one cope so much better with the same workload and the other one could not? I was the guy who was folding under pressure. And this is the measure of somebody who is a leader because, sorry, a measure of somebody of a leader is not how they do when their things are going well, but how do they perform when things are not going well? And, you know, some people naturally have it. Some people naturally have a calmness and a clarity of mind that no matter what the situation is, how stressful it is, they still have clear thinking. Whereas I didn't, I would buckle under pressure. I had to learn it and I learned it through the breath. And I think it was one of the most powerful things that I had learned because we are taught how to think and we, our minds are trained and education is training the brain to be, you know, to be able to reason and analyze and to break information into tiny pieces. We are trained how to think, but we are not trained how to stop thinking. And you cannot just develop one factor of the mind or one aspect of the mind and completely ignore the other one because 
people's minds have run off on themselves. And, you know, people are not, like, they don't even realize in the main what's going on in the mind. We don't pay attention to it. And we don't realize that this stuff that our mind is throwing up and oftentimes the negativity and the self-criticism and the repetitive and incessant thinking, like, it, it, you know, it's based on so many factors and conditioning and our own upbringings, etc. But we can yeah. step away from that. And the breath is one of those aspects. And the other thing is, I'll say is, like, yeah, you're correct. If sometimes if I was talking to somebody and they ask me what I'm doing, and I say I work with breathing, next thing is, they'll take this big, deep breath. And, you know, <laughs> there's a belief out there that, yeah, it's all about taking this deep, big breath. Mm. The harder you breathe, the less oxygen gets to the brain. And that's what was happening to me because I'd get into stress. My breathing would start getting faster and harder. I already had poor breathing anyway, and the stress would just tip me over the edge. But if you start breathing more, faster breathing, more noticeable breathing, panting, and uh, we do that when we are in stress. Well, what that does is it reduces blood flow to the brain. It reduces oxygen delivery to the brain. And now you cannot think straight. Now, there's other reasons coming in there as well. But certainly your breath and the stress effect on the breath is one of those things. And, you know, that's long-term stress is really problematic because you have an individual who develops a poor breathing pattern. Well, even when the stress is removed, that breathing pattern can remain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's quite um, it's quite interesting. So uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to kind of just start kind of I was gonna say at the beginning, but kind of almost <laughs> one end. So so kind of at what point do do can people kind of start to recognise that perhaps that the breathing patterns that they've developed are not um, you know, that beneficial to them, and also what kind of things can we see that are related to poor breathing from the perspective of you like you said stress anxiety and all that kind of stuff well there's a very easy way to determine or at least to get some feedback on, on functional breathing patterns and that's using breath whole time um so with oxygen advantage we call it the bolt score and you simply sit down for say five minutes okay. and then take a normal breath in and out through your nose And you time it in seconds. You hold your breath. So you take, sorry, I'll do it again. You take a normal breath in and out through your nose and you hold your breath and you time it in seconds until you feel the first definite desire to breathe or the first involuntary movement of your breathing muscles. And then you let go, but you breathe in and your breath following the breath whole time should be fairly normal. So it's not a measurement of the maximum length of time that you can hold your breath for, but it's a measurement up until the first physiological reaction of the brain to tell you to resume breathing. Now, in one paper by Kiesel, who's a physical professor of physical therapy from one of the universities in the United States, he investigated this, I think amongst 51 subjects. And his conclusion was that if your bolt score, he called it, he didn't call it bolt score, but it's the exact same way of measuring it. Um, if your if your bolt score is greater than twenty five seconds, there is an eighty nine percent chance that dysfunctional breathing is not present. So that's what he concluded. So I would say to anybody, if you want to learn something about your breathing, sit down, allow your breathing to settle, and then take a normal breath in and out through your nose and hold your breath and see how long can you hold your breath for comfortably. And if you are less than 25 seconds, there's room for improvement. Okay. Okay. 
yeah that i mean that's quite a simple thing to to obviously um to do mm -hmm. and then so so moving on from that then let's let's say that we do discover that it is less than 25 seconds what are the kind of next things that we can do or next steps that we can take to start improving that sure well your bolt score is a measurement of the degree of breathlessness both during rest and also physical exercise so yeah. just to give you a couple of things that might be happening if you have a low bolt score number one is that you have disproportionate breathlessness during physical exercise so no matter how hard you train, you find that you are plateauing. You just can't. And it's not down to poor, it's not necessarily down to poor condition. Like I've seen strength and conditioning coaches and, you know, an athlete is gassing out and they think it's down to due condition. Sorry, they, they think it's down to poor condition. But it, this can be down to breathing pattern disorder. Sleep. Because if you have a low bolt score, you tend to breathe harder, faster, and often breathe through an open mouth. You should never wake up with a dry mouth in the morning. If you wake up with a dry mouth in the morning, your sleep is likely to be unrefreshed. And that's what affected my concentration. So 20 years ago, I started taping my mouth right. closed. And we've, I've been taping my mouth ever since. And taping now has actually become, it's, it's actually becoming more and more mainstream, taping your lips together. There's a number of companies doing it. Um, including ourselves. But so, yeah, the other aspect is exhaustion. There's a link between exhaustion and chronic hyperventilation, but even such a thing as cold hands, brain fog, asthma, you know, asthma symptoms. If you're coughing and wheezing, it, it's very prevalent when your bolt score is less than 25 seconds. Nasal right. obstruction, a stuffy nose. And if you have a stuffy nose, it will impact your sleep. So snoring, yeah. sleep apnea can be impacted by hard breathing and certainly without question mouth breathing um so you know it, it can affect any organ or system to different degrees there was a dr claude Lom from papward hospital in cambridge back in the 1970s and he was writing extensively about chronic hyperventilation the pattern and the habit of breathing too fast and too deep too big okay. you know over breathing and he said it can affect any organ or system to different degrees but the reason that it didn't get attention was because medical doctors said it wasn't their field and they handed it over to psychiatry but psychiatry said it wasn't their field and handed it back to the medical doctors so you have a whole field of breathing in terms of chronic hyperventilation that's absolutely and completely ignored and at a minimum it affects 10 percent of the general population it affects 30 percent of the asthma population and it affects 80%, 80% of anxiety, panic disorder, and the PTSD population. So that's, they were the biggest categories of people coming into me, you know, since 2002. And, you know, when we're talking about breathing, we can't just think about it as the biomechanics. You go to your yoga studio. More often than not, the yoga instructor will ask you, will place the emphasis on breathing using the diaphragm. But in the process will request their students to take these bigger and fuller breaths. And you will hear people breathing around you. You should never hear your breathing during rest. Because if right. you are breathing more air than what you need, it's not increasing oxygen delivery to the tissues. What it, what it is doing is it will cause your blood vessels to constrict and it will reduce oxygen delivery to the tissues. So people who think that when they're taking these deep and big and full breaths, and they think that it's bringing more oxygen throughout the body. It's not. 
It's doing right. absolutely the wrong thing to do. If you're stressed, slow yeah. down your breathing or hold your breath. And when we look at breathing, there's three dimensions to it. Breathe light is the biochemistry. And that's about slowing down and reducing the volume of the air you breathe in order to increase carbon dioxide in the blood. And as carbon dioxide increases in the blood, your blood vessels dilate, you feel warmer. So a test would be for your audience is slow down their breathing, breathe in and out through the nose, but really slow down the speed of the air coming in and out of the nose and make a concerted effort to breathe less air than what you need for about three to four minutes. You know that you know that you are breathing less air when you feel air hunger. And then check a number of things. Check your temperature of your fingers or your hands. Check the amount of saliva in the mouth and check whether you're feeling drowsy. So by doing that air hunger, you're vasodilating, you're increasing or dilating the blood vessels, you're increasing oxygen delivery to the tissues, but you're also activating a parasympathetic or relaxation response. And that's evident by increased watery saliva in the mouth. So that's one dimension, but that dimension is completely overlooked in most breathing modalities. And the second dimension then, I'll just talk for a second and just finish off this point. Uh, the second dimension then is the biomechanics, and that's breathing low using the diaphragm because diaphragmatic movement is really, really important for the generation of what's called intra-abdominal pressure. And intra-abdominal pressure would be, say, you can imagine a weightlifter lifting a weight. Yeah. And as the weightlifter lifts the weight, what will happen is the weightlifter will usually breathe in and hold his or her breath. So as he breathes in, the diaphragm is moving downwards. This is bracing the abdomen, almost that the abdomen becomes like a pneumatic balloon, and it provides stabilization for the spine so that the spine doesn't buckle. So the diaphragm is providing a support for functional movement. So you cannot have functional movement unless you have functional breathing. And if you don't have functional movement during physical exercise, you are more at risk of injury. So yeah. you're breathing and using the diaphragm and also the connection then with, between the diaphragm and the emotions. It is true to take a deep breath, but you should never hear a deep breath. It should be slow, it should be light, and it should be deep. Yeah. And then the third dimension of breathing is looking at changing the cadence of the breath the rate of the breath during practice, certain times during the day, when you're practicing, focusing on your breathing, slow down the respiratory rate to six breaths per minute. Breathe yeah. in for a count of four, breathe out for a count of six seconds. What that yeah. does is it exercises baroreceptors. It increases vagal tone. It increases heart rate variability. It improves respiratory sinus arrhythmia, and it helps the autonomic nervous system, which is this to recover or to, to get a balance between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic response. So with breathing, we should we need to think about it. It's not just about breathing low, breathing deep, but it's about breathing light, which is the biochemistry, breathing deep, which is the biomechanics, and breathing slow, which is the cadence of the breath. Okay, well, uh, so there's a lot to, to pick out there, but there's there's a couple of things that I just wanted to go back over. Um, the first thing is is uh, the, the effect of this on sleep. So is there any correlation between um, poor breathing at night to um, deep sleep 
the, you know, the, the, yes. the element of deep sleep. Yeah, no question. Mouth breathing, you have shallow sleep. Um, mouth breathing also, it reduces the architecture of the upper airway. So the upper airway is more narrow. The tongue is more likely to be falling back into the throat. Your jaws are falling into the airway. And if you think of the airway, you think of your throat. And look at the statistics in this. Obstructive sleep apnea, again, very often overlooked. This is when you have a guy and he's snoring and then he stops breathing altogether. And he stops breathing due to collapse of the upper airways. And the collapse can happen in four places. The soft palate falls into the throat or the tongue falls into the throat. The epiglottis falls into the throat or you have collapse of the throat itself. Now, the individual then stops breathing. And during that time, their blood oxygen saturation drops and carbon dioxide is increasing. But this causes them to partially awaken from their sleep, but they're not conscious of it. But what it's doing is it's causing sleep fragmentation. And, you know, then they are waking up. So they're waking up feeling quite tired or, you know, there's a certain proportion of them that um, I think it's 25%. They're not tired when they wake up, but they are tired in the afternoon. They don't have the energy then for the rest of the day. It affects 43% of men. Right, between wow. 50 and 70 years of age and 26% of men between 30 and 50 years of age. So obstructive sleep apnea puts a lot of pressure on the heart. When you hear of a 40-year-old dying during their sleep, you yeah. have to suspect obstructive sleep apnea. Um, and of course, alcohol is going to make it worse. So how can you improve your sleep to get really good quality? And I always say to men, I say, listen, you should wake up with three things in the morning. One is your tongue is resting in the roof of the mouth. Two, your mouth is moist. And three, you have an erection. And it's really, really important because, you know, those three things, because erectile dysfunction is related to poor sleep and poor sleep quality. Um, Because your your circulation is impacted. You know, the whole autonomic nervous system is impacted. If you don't get good sleep, you don't get recovery. So you can imagine a guy... He's breathing hard during sleep. Well, number one is that's going to cause snoring. You listen to somebody who is breathing hard or listen to somebody who snores. It's not just due to the size of the airway. Of course, the size of the airway is a factor. You know, if the airway is narrow, that's going to cause resistance to breathing and that will increase turbulence to cause snoring. But we cannot just look at the airway without looking at flow. A doctor will typically just look at airway. But if you were to ask an engineer, look at a pipe. No engineer is going to look at a pipe without considering what's the flow going through that pipe. Now, if you have somebody with a low bolt score, typically is what we see with people with asthma, for example. Um, That person with asthma is going to sleep. They have a low bolt score. Their respiratory rate is relatively fast. Because of asthma of the lungs, they can also have nasal obstruction. So their nose is stuffy. So they mouth breathe, they upper chest breathe, and they are a prime candidate for sleep disorder breathing. So as asthma severity increases, so does sleep disorder breathing. But I'm only using the point of asthma. Of course, it can apply to absolutely anybody. And the men who are most at risk are two things. One is guys with a greater than 17 inch neck, big guys. Another is we hit 40, we start putting a bit of weight on the belly. Yeah. And as we put weight on the belly, it impinges diaphragmatic movement. So we start breathing more in the upper chest. Upper chest yeah. breathing is reducing lung volume. And this causes collapse of the upper airways. Right. So I would say, you know, 
really look at slowing down your breathing. And if you want to just to get an idea of this, I have a TED talk, you know, 17 minutes, and I demonstrate to the audience what to do in terms of slowing down the breath. But just pay attention. Are you waking up at a dry mouth in the morning and start with that for sleep? Yeah, yeah, I think that's great basic advice to to really um, sounds like a, a common issue. Is there any correlation between your breathing and your diet? Obviously, there's technique in your breathing, but is there any correlation between how we breathe and our diet? It's very, there seems to be something, but it's very difficult to pinpoint it exactly. Right. Blood pH is regulated primarily by breathing. And if you're in a state of chronic stress, it, this is only a theory. If you're in a state of chronic stress, your breathing is naturally faster and it can be harder. This gets yep. rid of too much carbon dioxide from the blood through the lungs. Mm-hmm. This in turn increases blood pH. And right. the body doesn't want the blood being too alkaline. The body wants homeostasis of 7.365. And one theory is that the body in an effort to normalize blood pH will have a craving of acidic forming foods. Now that's only a theory. There was a book written back and published back in 1938, I think in around the thirties and it's called nutrition and physical degeneration. And it's written by a dentist called Dr. Weston price. And it's probably one of the, the founding books in terms of nutrition. Now what Dr. Weston price did, he's a dentist and he went to various civilizations and he looked at what happened when they switched from a traditional diet over to a processed diet. So he went to New Zealand, Australia, um, North America, Swiss, Switzerland. He also went to the Hebride Islands off the coast of Scotland. Mm-hmm. The Hebride Islands, they survived on a traditional diet of fish and oatmeal for thousands of years. But then commerce started coming to the islands with sugar, chocolate, marmalades, the stuff that we see in supermarkets today. Yeah. First generation children became outbreeders. They started having overcrowding of teeth and the faces changed, the shape of the faces and the, sh- the shape of the modern person, their face has changed considerably and it's happening very, very quickly. And the problem with this is that we need to have plenty of space in the mouth for our tongue and we need to be able to hold on to all 32 teeth. However, there are two schools of thought in orthodontistry. One is... The reason that the teeth are crooked is because the teeth are too big. So let's extract teeth and then straighten remaining teeth. Yeah. The other thought is the reason that the teeth are too crooked is because the jaw is too small because the child was thumb sucking or they had their mouth open and their tongue wasn't resting in the roof of the mouth. In other words, the child, their jaws didn't develop wide enough to house their teeth. Now, the first school of thought in orthodontistry is causing a lot of harm and can cause a lot of harm. And the reason being is because you need to hold on to, you know, the the wit and you want to really maximize the the wit of the face, the wit of the jaws in order that there is sufficient room for the tongue so that the tongue isn't falling back into the throat. And give you an example, your royal family, Prince William. And Princess Kate, put and put a search into Google and look at an image of both, and just zoom in on um, Prince William's mouth 
and then zoom in on Princess Kate Middleton. Count how many teeth can you see from um, Prince William? You will see that he has black triangles either side of his of his teeth, and you'll see also right. that you can probably count maybe six, maybe seven teeth. Okay, right. that's evident of a small mouth. And I would, I if I was to say, if I, my hunch would be he had orthodontics, and he had two or four teeth removed, and his jaws were made small. Kate Middleton. If you look at her smile, you'll see 10, possibly 12 teeth. She's got a really broad smile. She's got plenty of room for her tongue. And um, that's what we're looking for. You know, that's really what we're looking for. So so there are habits during childhood that are very, very important in terms of airway and craniofacial development. And it does come back to diet. Chewing is one aspect. You know, we don't chew foods now. Our ancestors chewed foods. You know, if you think all of the foods that come pre-chewed, and the only thing is I'll say is COVID-19, by shutting down every McDonald's restaurant pretty much worldwide has probably done a great service to humanity. Now, I'd feel sorry for the staff. They're trying to make a living out of it. But if these restaurants never opened, it would be one of the best things. And anything, any restaurant or so-called restaurant that is similar because it's not food. And it's time that we start realizing that. And I think one aspect of it is that we are now becoming more conscious of our health due to a health crisis. And it has slowed us down a little bit. And that's great in some ways, you know. Um, Like, you know, there is a couple of small positives in light of all of the negatives. The negatives, there's a couple of small positives coming through there. So, yeah, so food and breathing, yeah, they can probably go hand in hand. Um, yeah. If I was to say which one is the most important, well, it's like this. You can survive without food for weeks and you can yeah. survive without air for just a few minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great analogy. So in terms of the, the stress side of breathing then, because, you know, lots of times we actually won't recognize or be conscious of the fact that we are stressed. Um you know, our breathing patterns might change or our mood most likely changes. So, you know, is there anything in the breathing patterns that we can become aware of that would identify the fact that we're, our body's in a bit of a stressed state? So, we, you know, we're in the sympathetic, the, the flight uh, part of the nervous yes. system. Yeah. It's really important, especially for men, not to live stuck in their heads all the time. And females do have a better tendency to be able to disperse their attention throughout the body. But we are often stuck in our heads. And when we are stuck in our heads, we don't feel when we are stressed. Stress manifests around the stomach area. And for example, if you have a certain connectivity with the rest of the body, taking your attention out of the mind and dispersing it throughout the body, you will know quite quickly when you get stressed because you will feel the tension in the stomach. And, you know, you could say, well, how else would you know when you're stressed? Well, clarity of thinking is one, but also sleep. Yeah, It's difficult to fall asleep if you've had a stressful day because you're lying there in bed and you're kind of running all this stuff through your mind and you'll be twisting and turning all night long. And here's the problem. You have a poor night's sleep and you wake up then feeling exhausted but you still have to deal with the situation that was happening the day before, but now you don't have the ability to do it. So, 
you know, and this depends on genetic predispositions as well. And of course, it's trainable, just like concentration is trainable. Our ability to handle stress is trainable. We need yeah. to be able to train the brain to be focused. Mm -hmm. And we can train the brain to be focused by having our attention on the breath. And this is a measure of concentration. Concentration is the length of time that you can hold your attention on the subject matter without distraction. But if the mind is agitated, and if there's a habit of incessant and repetitive thought activity, mm -hmm. it means that we can't hold our attention on doing what we want to do because the mind is bombarded with thoughts. So yeah. what I would say is, start focusing on your breathing. And if you notice that your mind is wandering very quickly, and then you bring your attention back and your mind wanders over there, and you bring your attention back onto your breath, your mind wanders again, if your mind is repeatedly wandering, you know then that there is a habit of excessive thinking. So don't get frustrated with it. Now you're beginning to realize that your mind is wandering and it could be wandering quite a lot. But now this is the first step. It's all good. You're starting to realize I have a habit of thinking and that habit of thinking is going to affect my ability to focus, my ability to concentrate and my ability to have clarity of thought when there's a stressful situation. So how do we train the brain? I would practice breathing exercises, slowing down the breath to create air hunger. And the reason being is from a number of perspectives. Number one, your mind is more likely to be anchored onto the breath when you feel air hunger. Number two, when you feel air hunger, it signifies that carbon dioxide is increased in the blood and this increases blood flow and oxygen delivery to the brain. This is yeah. a calming effect on the brain. Number three, slow down your breathing for 15 to 20 minutes before sleep. Then you have a deeper sleep and especially breathe through your nose. You wake up more alert, you wake up more refreshed, and you have clarity of thinking. Yeah. So, you know, I would start off with the air hunger. And then after about a week of it, I would have people put their hands either side of their lower ribs and as they breathe in, they're feeling their ribs gently move out. And as they breathe out, the ribs are gently moving in. So we start engaging the lower regions of the lungs. Because to give you an example, if you breathe through your nose versus through your mouth, and I would e this is even during physical exercise. Mm -hmm. Now, most people, you know, you go, go into a gym and all you see is you'll see people puffing and hard breathing often, yeah. very commonly through the mouth. Why is that? It's because it's easier. But it's not quality, because if you mouth breathe, you are activating the upper chest. You are taking and ventilating the upper regions of the lungs. But the greatest concentration of blood is in the lower regions of the lungs. So it's much ad more advantageous to breathe nose because your nose is connected with the lower regions. And this is, you know, this information is known. 1988, a researcher, Swift, he looked at the, the pressure of oxygen in the blood in patients post-jaw surgery, when their jaws were wired shut, which forced them to continuously breathe through their nose, the pressure of oxygen in the blood increased by 10%. So nasal breathing increases oxygen uptake in the blood. It improves what's called ventilation perfusion, basically <clears throat> the transfer of, of oxygen from the lungs into the blood. But also yeah. if you do your physical exercise with your mouth closed, you feel air hunger, you feel more suffocated, 
And the reason yeah. that you're feeling more suffocated is because the carbon dioxide can't leave the lungs as quickly through, sorry, can't leave the blood as quickly through the lungs. So carbon dioxide okay. is increasing in the blood. This generates a feeling of air hunger. However, the carbon dioxide is increasing your blood vessels. The carbon dioxide is increasing delivery to the tissues. So your working muscles are going to be staying aerobic um, because there's an increased oxygen delivery there. But what's more, if you do your physical exercise with your mouth closed, in about six to eight weeks, the air hunger diminishes. And people don't give it that time. You know, they'll go in no. and they're, they're, you know, like a bat out of hell, puffing and panting, upper chest breathing. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's really highly inefficient. It's not economical. It's trauma on the airways. People would exercise induced bronchoconstriction, which affects right. 10% of the UK population. Um, okay. That's the general population. You know, your airways are traumatized by having all of that cold, dry air coming in, which in yeah. turn is causing moisture to be sucked out of the airways, which in turn causes inflammation. So I would say for a recreational athlete, there is absolutely no valid reason why you should breathe through your mouth during physical exercise. Yes, granted, when you start off nasal breathing, it's tougher. But yeah. this is a training load, and this is when the, the body makes adaptations. So just go a bit slower. You know, you can achieve an 85 to 90% work rate intensity nasal breathing versus mouth breathing. And typically, the, the transition from, from nose to mouth breathing happens when you are breathing about 35 to 40 liters of air per minute. So you can go at a fairly high intensity with nasal breathing, depending on your bolt score and depending on your nostril right. size. And uh, yeah, so I'd say look into it. It's really, really beneficial. Now, during the first week or two, your nose will run, but your recovery yep. post-physical exercise is much better. Right. And you're getting a better workout. And also, you're not going to be overtraining because you have to yeah. remember this. If you are breathing hard, too hard, if you're breathing, you know, in excess of what you need, this is causing too much carbon dioxide to be removed from the blood. Blood vessels constrict, but your heart is receiving less blood flow and your heart is receiving less oxygen. And it's not just that your heart is there to, you know, to deliver blood throughout the body. Your heart also needs its own oxygen supply and nasal yeah. breathing will help with that. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a whole topic that I, you know, I want us to, to, to kind of go into in a little bit more detail. But before we do that, something that's just come to mind when we were talking about stress, and that is breathing um, around, you know, when you're in a stressful situation with children, because this is age old saying, isn't there? You know, just take deep breaths, just take deep breaths. Whereas obviously what you're saying is that's not the most efficient way to deal with stress so you know for people listening if we're in a stressful situation at home or with children and things like that you know what would you say is the right protocol to adopt in in those kind of situations a very simple way is just hold your breath right and do it this way take a normal breath in and out through your nose hold your nose yep. and walk 10 paces holding your breath then right. let go and breathe in breathe normal for 30 seconds and do it again breathe normal for 30 seconds and do it again. And the reason being is it because it increases blood flow to the brain. Okay. So holding of your breath can open up your nose. Now it is actually holding of the breath is typically activating a stress response. But in this instance, it can have a calming effect because 
it's helping to distract from the stress when you when you hold your breath you stop thinking but because yeah. also um you're increasing blood flow to the brain right yeah that yeah that 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 does make sense and um, the other thing darren sorry to to me like yeah, it's like me back in enterprise rent car highly stressed but why was i stressed because i wasn't you know okay the corporate environment is stressful but my my stress handling capabilities weren't good Yes. So, yeah. so it's really about bringing breathing. Like you know, so I work for myself now. We've got a small business. Um, mm-hmm. We have about seven employees, and my stress levels now. You know, I'm since two thousand and two working for myself. I've been hardly. You know, I'm not saying of course there's times you have a little bit of stress, but very little. And part of it is because I've better sleep. Um, right. I'm nasal breathing. My breathing is slower. You know, mm-hmm. whereas before that, I was mouth breathing, fast breathing, upper chest breathing. And if you're a mouth breather and a fast breather, upper chest breather, you're already, you're teetering on the brink, you know, but all it takes then is a bit of stress to throw you over. Um, yeah. And you think of the person with panic disorder, like mm-hmm. I look at their breathing and it can be very, very fast. And like, I'm not saying very, very fast. It's not as if they're having a panic attack in front of me. But they could be yeah. breathing 18 to 20 breaths per minute. That's too fast. They're breathing upper chest. They are sighing quite regularly. A person right. who is sighing a lot, it's not a good sign because it shows that breathing is irregular. And right. oftentimes it's the person with poor breathing patterns that feels that they are not getting enough air. They'll come in and I say, what's what symptoms? Or they fill out the client intake form. They say, just feel no matter what I'm breathing, I just feel that I'm not getting enough air. Well, for that person, it doesn't take much to put them into a stress situation. And you probably, you'd be aware of it, you know, people with panic disorder, they were often advised to breathe in and out of a bag to help calm down. You know, they weren't told to take these big deep breaths because the panic disorder, they were already breathing hard and fast and big breaths. Mm -hmm. And that was blowing off too much carbon dioxide. The issue wasn't oxygen. The issue was carbon dioxide. So they were told to breathe into a bag in order to trap carbon dioxide in the bag on the exhale breath. So they would exhale carbon dioxide from their body into the bag. But then on the inspiration, on the inhalation, they carry that carbon dioxide back into the lungs to increase it in the blood, to increase blood flow to the brain and to increase oxygen delivery to the brain. So there's two things happening there. You know, one is it's not the stress that is often causing it's not the situation which is causing the stress, but breathing, if you have good functional breathing, your resilience is improved and your ability to handle stress is much better. And then if you do get into a stressful state, if you do have a connection with your body and with your breath, you realize it. You know, and if there's times like Wednesday here, I was doing calls and then, and just at the end of it, I counted the amount of emails I had that day. I answered 90 emails and I just felt, I felt a bit under pressure, to be honest with you, because yeah. I just felt, no, no matter how many emails I answered, where where was this going to end, you know? Yeah. And, you know, if, like, it's normal. It, like, we all will face, of course, we all face stress. That's the way it is. But um, I think if you're just a little bit more aware, having some attention inside the body, your body will tell you. And there's a time also that your productivity if the stress gets too much, it's going to affect your productivity. You're better off just taking a break from it. 
because otherwise your productivity isn't good anyway. Take a break from the whole lot. Um, and then, you know, slow down your breathing, go for a walk, go into nature, enjoy the sunshine. Um, maybe take the night off and have a couple of glasses of wine, you know, yeah. um, it can happen, you know, of course. And then come back to it then when you're, when you're in a better frame of mind. But another aspect where the research on this is all about is looking at cadence breathing of six breaths per minute. That if you were to breathe in for a count of five in through your nose, it's very slow and light, not to take a huge big breath. You, you'd like, you, you don't want to slow down your breathing, but in the process, get rid of too much carbon dioxide. You want to have a balance. So you want to breathe in. You could breathe in for a count of four seconds, a light breath. You shouldn't hear it. So you're breathing in for a count of four seconds. Breathe out for a count of six or breathe in for a count of five seconds breathe out for a count of five seconds. And what that does is that's the optimum breath for the human being to target the autonomic nervous system, to bring about a balance between the parasympathetic and sympathetic tone. So individuals who are prone or who have been exposed to long-term stress, it's really important that we help, um, you know, the the body to recover from from this long-term stress. And the six breaths per minute is the most optimum rate of doing that. So, yeah, I would say to anybody, if you have, say, post-traumatic stress disorder or depression or anxiety, um, pay attention to your breathing and even practice doing that 20 minutes. You need to do it for about 20 minutes twice a day. But you could do it if you're watching television, you know, and you're having some attention inside in the body. But it's nicer if you close your eyes, you bring your attention inwards onto the breath, you feel the airflow coming in and out of your nose, you're timing it. You could use a metronome or some some timer um, and just help the body, help that recovery there. Yeah, I think it's I think it's very interesting with, you know, the increased kind of attention around mental health now, Mm -hmm. how you know, a lot of these, what I would call functional methods that we can use as opposed to going towards treating an issue. And what I mean by that is using medication where, you know, we have a lot of tools already within us. If we were just to pay attention to that and actually understand that we have those tools tools available. Um, Yes. There are so many people that don't know that this is available. Well, like I have no idea how people are doing it, to be honest with you. Um, you know, because social media has created a a lot of stress for people and we have to be very careful as well what we let in, you know, Mm. I don't listen to the news. I stopped listening to the news 20 years ago. I don't listen to mainstream media. Um, the, the time with COVID, I listened to the news in the first couple of days, maybe once a day, but that was a maximum. Yeah. And we have to be very careful with the information that we expose ourselves to. We also have to be very careful with social media. And yeah, I'm 47, 46, 47 years of age. I have the the advantage in that I didn't grow up with social media. But think of the youngsters. Since yeah. 2007, anxiety and depression rates in young girls have shot through the roof. And if I go in on Instagram... All I'm seeing is the only people who pose, the only people who who put photos of themselves are on Instagram are people who are fairly good looking, people who have good bodies. You know, the normal Joe Soap with his with a bit of a belly, he's not posting a photo of himself on Instagram. So then when you go in on Instagram, 
you're getting a very skewed reflection of reality because you're thinking then that everybody on Instagram that I'm looking at is they're all good looking people, the, the gals and the guys, they're all good, beautiful bodies. And here's me, a normal Joe Soap, and I'm yeah. not fitting to the description. And that's why these social media outlets, Facebook and Instagram, they have they should be bearing a huge responsibility Definitely. for the deterioration of mental health. And they are so clever with their with their their MBAs coming in and their psychologists and their experts in human behavior, getting people addicted on the technology and the platform, all about driving up share price, all about maximizing advertising revenue, and in the in the process, messing with people's brains, messing with their minds, and consuming all of their attention. Like can you yeah. imagine waking up tomorrow morning? And saying to yourself, well, I'm going to now spend two and a half hours of my day looking into a mobile phone and social media. What a life. But that's what people are doing. Yeah, definitely. It's crazy. And like you said, you know, with with, it's a constant battle with children and youngsters to prize them away from it. But like you said, you know, the platforms know that they're actively investing in making sure we stay on it for longer. Yeah. But I want to I want to go back to what you was talking about earlier around um, breathing and exercise so you know a lot of the guys listen to this who've done my program who are coached by me um or just in general would do would the majority would do running mm-hmm. um and obviously some some hit workouts you know I, I personally do a lot of running and a lot of swimming and i can hold my hand up to say that i have tried nasal breathing when i'm running but i'm very much a kind of mouth top of chest breather mm-hmm. so you know obviously you, you've 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 explained the the negatives and the benefits of of nasal breathing but just how would you start to go about that um in terms of nasal breathing so i would say is measure your bolt score first okay. and if the bolt score is less than 25 seconds that's a measure of your degree of breathlessness so yeah. say for example if you have a bolt score of 10 seconds you're, it's not possible to run with the mouth closed because the degree of breathlessness is too intense. So yeah. let's work at getting the bolt score up. How do you get the bolt score higher? Breathe through your nose all the time, but also practice slowing down your breathing and breathing light because the bolt score is a measurement of the chemosensitivity of the body to carbon dioxide. And it's carbon dioxide that's the stimulus to breathe. So if you're overly sensitive to carbon dioxide buildup, your breathing is going to be harder. And your breathing, which is harder at rest, is also harder during physical exercise. So there's an intense feeling of breathlessness. So number one is get your everyday breathing right. Number two, if you have poor nostrils, poor nasal cavity like mine, um, a deviated septum, which about 60% of the population have, and that's when the line dividing one side of the nose to the other is crooked, that can impair airflow and that can generate an increased air hunger. So what I'd say is put one finger either side of your nose and just gently prise your nostrils apart. And that's called the cottle maneuver. Does it make a difference to airflow? And if it does, it may be helpful to get a nasal dilator. So a little plastic device you can put up into your nose to help open up the nose. Number three, make sure that you warm up for at least 10-15 minutes before you increase the intensity and during the warm-up do some breath holding 
So, but don't do don't do breath holding. Obviously, if there's females listening, if they're pregnant, I'm not sure how many females you have on your on your audience. Um, but certainly, if males have high blood pressure, if they have, you know, any serious medical complaints, don't do strong breath holding. But strong breath holding is a wonderful way to help prepare the body for more intense physical exercise, because it opens up the airways, it increases blood flow to the brain. It's uh, it's also it's got a lot of other benefits which I can go through. I know you mentioned high intensity interval training. So say for instance, I was working with a professional soccer player this morning, mm-hmm. and I was going through and I asked him, okay, he said his warm up is twenty minutes, and I said during the warm up I want you to do all of your warm up nasal breathing entirely. So the yeah. first ten minutes you're doing your high knees and whatever you're doing all through the nose, but the last ten minutes of the warm up. Breathe in, breathe out, hold your nose and hold your breath jogging for about 20 paces, then let go. Continue jogging for about a minute, then breathe in, breathe out, hold your nose, hold your breath for about 20 paces, let go. After the two easy enough breath holds, then max, then hold your breath until a maximum air hunger and do five strong breath holds. So I just repeat that. So the warm up that I gave him was all physical exercise, all of the warm-up, nasal breathing for the first 10 minutes. After 10 minutes, then breathe in through your nose, breathe out. During the warm-up, breathe in and out through your nose, hold your nose, hold your breath until you feel a medium air hunger. Might be 20 paces, might be a little bit less. Wait a minute, continue warming up. After about a minute of warm-up, do the breath hold again. Nose, breath in and out through nose, hold nose for about 15, 20 paces. After about a minute then, Take a normal breath in and out through the nose, hold the nose and start jogging, holding the breath and jog faster and faster and harder and harder and keep holding your breath during the jog until you feel a relatively strong air hunger. Then let go, breathe in through your nose, wait a minute and repeat it and do it five times. Do five strong breath holds. What does it do? It adds an extra load onto your breathing. It helps to improve respiratory muscle strength. It's increasing blood flow to the brain. You, it will make you more alert. It's also causing what's called a right shift of the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. Basically, you think about a warm-up. A warm-up is preparing the muscles in that yeah. the muscles are receiving increased oxygen delivery before they're working harder. Yeah. Because the two factors that cause oxygen to be released from the red blood cell, well, there's more, but two of the factors that cause oxygen to be released from the red blood cells to the tissues, one is increased temperature, and the other is increased carbon dioxide. So an exercising muscle gets hot and it becomes hypercaptic, increased CO2, and it benefits from an increased O2 delivery to that muscle. So during the warm-up, do some breath holding to deliberately increase carbon dioxide in the blood to cause more oxygen to get delivered throughout the body. Um, So yeah, so I would say that... There is an interesting study that was carried out looking at the comparison. Like people do high intensity interval training. Yeah. Which of course has its merits. And they do it to stimulate anaerobic glycolysis. And if you were to measure your blood oxygen saturation during high intensity interval training, your blood oxygen saturation with mouth breathing is going down to about 93%. And with nose breathing, it's 91%. So you're still in normal levels of oxygen. You know, it's not until you go below 91% that you could say that you're going into hypoxemia. Um, Now, uh, granted, your oxygen levels are dropping, but not dropping by a whole lot. 
And there was a paper published by a French researcher, Warons, 2018, he looked at 21 highly trained professional rugby union players and they were 21 years of age during peak season. He divides them up into two groups. He had one group do 40 metre sprints with breath holding on the exhalation, the same as what we do in the book and etc. Take a normal breath in and out, hold your nose, sprint for 40 metres and then after you resume breathing, have a semi-active recovery for about 30 seconds and then yeah. sprint again, semi-active recovery, sprint again. The other group, the control group, were, were doing the 40-meter sprint with nasal breathing. And they were also doing other high-intensity interval training exercises. Now, after four weeks, the group who were doing breath holding, they increased their repeated sprintability from 9 to 14.8. And the group in the control group who were doing high-intensity interval training, their repeated sprintability didn't increase at all. Right. Now, what this difference is, is that the breath holding increased to be able to improve repeated sprintability, which is a performance indicator in team sports. This is your ability to do an all-out effort, followed by a very brief recovery before you do an all-out effort again. So you can imagine a soccer player, you know, they're sprinting yeah. for a ball, they pass the ball, and the next thing is the ball is coming back to them and they have to repeat the sprint. And it's a very good measure of performance. But to get a gain in professional rugby union, the margins, you know, if you can get a 1% gain there, that's significant. But to be able to increase repeated sprintability from 9 to 14 um, by just replacing hit with breath tolling, I think it's huge. And my other point is high-intensity interval training can be traumatic, you know, for the individual. If your objective is to stimulate anaerobic glycolysis, Go for a jog and during the jog, do some breath holding. And that way okay. you will really drop your blood oxygen saturation. You'll drop it down typically into the mid 80s. And that's yeah. a far greater and more intense effect because as your oxygen levels are dropping, your carbon dioxide levels are increasing. This is disturbing the blood acid base balance because there's an increase of hydrogen ion. So you're exposing the body to increased hydrogen ion, which is forcing adaptations inside the muscle compartment to delay lactic acid and fatigue. So originally that was the premise of writing the book, you know, back in 2012, 2013. How could I show that we could delay lactic acid? Two aspects. One is increased oxygen delivery to the tissues and the other is increase the buffering capacity. Mm. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, I've never even come across that before, but I think that's that's very um, eye-opening that you can have that same impact just by doing a run and breath work that yes. you can with HIIT training. Yeah. Um, so, so on the book then, The Oxygen Advantage, Patrick, what was the, the bait? I mean, if you've just mentioned there, the basis of the book was to, to basically explain that, you know, you could get the, um, the benefits of, um, sorry, I completely forgotten what I was going to say there. All um, right. The, benef- the, the benefits of, um, you know. Lactic acid, reducing lactic acid. That's the one, yeah, uh, in the muscle. So was that just the simple premise for, for the book? Yeah, that, that was when I started because I kind of wanted to open it out to the normal healthy audience. Um, okay. You know, from 2002 until 2012, like I still, of course, work with people with asthma and people with sleep disorder breathing, yeah. but I wasn't getting healthy people coming in. And the other aspect was that I was when I was doing mindfulness courses with functional breathing, no men were turning up. 
And I often wondered why why isn't the man coming to and it's because the name mindfulness, you know. Nobody yeah. wants to be kind of the man, it's not a lot of men won't see it as their thing. So yeah. the oxygen advantage then I started just looking at yeah, reducing ox reducing lactic acid, but then like the, then I started looking at the applications in terms of um you know, different techniques that you could use. You have to bring sleep into it. You have to bring the mind. Like if you're looking at performance, you can't just, we can't just isolate one aspect of it and think that that's going to do the trick because it's not, there's a bi-directional relationship between many functions of the human body. And to give you an example, I often use this example, the link between your emotions, your breathing and your sleep. Because if your emotions are off and you're stressed, it messes with your sleep as we spoke about. And if your sleep is off, it messes with your emotions because you can't concentrate. And if your breathing is off, it affects your emotions. But also if you're stressed, it affects your breathing. And if your breathing is off, it affects your sleep. So there's a bi-directional relationship there. And all too often, we're all stuck in our own little silos. You know, Mm -hmm. the person with anxiety is going to the stress counselor and the stress counselor is giving them cognitive behavioral therapy, which is great. But the stress counselor is giving no information about sleep quality and no information about breathing. And if they do yeah. give information about breathing, they're saying, I'll go home and take a few deep breaths for yourself there. Like, and that's not, that's just the way it is, you know. Um, you can't address the mind unless you look at sleep. And you can't address the mind if respiratory physiology is off. So, yeah. so with the oxygen advantage, I aimed it at, at the, the healthy person. And typically, most of our instructors now, we have instructors in about 40 countries. Um, okay. But typically, they're age between 20 and 50 years of age. Now, we have some amazing guys. Like, we have got professional MMAs. Um, we've got SWAT, SWAT instructors. Wow. Um, we've had one of the instructors from Delta Forces, which is above Navy SEALs. So yeah. they bring it in to teaching their soldiers. So we have military first responders, elite athletes, and then we have Olympic athletes. We have a number of Olympic teams, including one of the strength and conditioning coaches from the Chinese Medical um, Olympic Committee. And okay. um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of bizarre that Brett now has become a little bit topical. And I also mm-hmm. work with XPT, which is Lard Hamilton. So okay. they're yeah. like, I, you know, I do the breathing and contribute to the breathing protocol as a breathing advisor for there. And again, you're seeing really high caliber individuals. So it, yeah. this is something that my point at the very start was breathing is when you look into it and when you break it down to the, the effects that we can achieve by changing patterns of breath. And you could ask, well, why are the SWAT guys doing it? Well, Joey Williams is one of our he trained as an instructor and he's based at the university of berkeley in california where they teach you know special weapons and tactics these guys are sent into stressful situations and you have to be able to remain calm and you have to be able to have clarity of thinking otherwise you make a mistake and his point was well in the corporate world if you make a mistake yeah you lose money but if we make a mistake people die and that's yeah. why it's really important that focus concentration comes into it. Yeah. So, yeah, these simple tools, you know, but that's how it is. You carry your breathing with you and um, it, it yeah. can be very transformative. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I find it absolutely fascinating, uh, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to be practicing it more in my running because I'm convinced, as obviously you know already, that it will help me you know, with, with fatigue in my running and just my running performance in general. So um, before we finish up then, Patrick, what uh, five key actions would you recommend that the listeners can take away with them today to kind of implement nasal breathing or become more mindful about their breathing? So I'm going to answer one question there in terms of running. Look at George Dallam's paper. George Dallam is a professor in, I think it's sports science from one of the universities in the United States. And he got 10 recreational athletes. And he said, for the next six months, you have to do all of your physical exercise with your mouth closed. Right. And after six months, he then tested them. They achieved 100% work rate intensity, nasal breathing versus mouth breathing but they had 22% less ventilation. So you can imagine that because when you switch to nose breathing, it is adding an extra load, which is more uncomfortable, but this is what's adding and this is what's forcing the body to make adaptations. So I would say persist with it. Right. So the five things are absolutely for a recreational athlete, do most of your physical exercise with your mouth closed. Warm up, number two, pre-physical exercise, warm up for... 15 20 minutes you're going you know all with nasal breathing but bring in some breath holds during that and make sure you have no contraindications that you know this is for people who are relatively fit relatively healthy number three get your mouth closed at night now we have a tape um that we use which surrounds the lips but you, you you know there's different brands i'll give you a few different brands one is you can go to a chemist to get 3m one inch micropore tape that's right. cheap, it's inexpensive, but it, it's you're putting it across the lips. The second tape is our own one. That's myotape.com, M-Y-O, tape.com. And that surrounds the lips and brings the lips together. And we developed it originally for children. And all of our children's exercises are free up on YouTube. Yeah. You'll see it. Number So another tape then would be lipsealtape.com. And then there's Somnifix. So there's quite a few brands out there. Um. Number four, really pay attention to what's going on in your mind and just make it a habit of observing what are you thinking about and especially thought activity that it's repetitive and yeah. that you're it's making you stressed and ask yourself the question, well, I've been now thinking about this for the last 15, 20 times. Has it been productive? So, you know, if you find that your your mind is a little bit agitated, and that your thinking is not being productive. In other words, you're just in a merry-go-round of thought. Bring your attention onto the breath. And if your mind is agitated, do some breath holds. Breathe into your nose, breathe out, hold your nose, walk five or ten paces holding your breath, then let go, breathe in, and then wait 30 seconds and do it again. And then number five, you know, don't live your mind, don't live stuck in your head. Go for a walk and bring your attention out of the mind, into the body, onto the breath. Walk with every cell of your body. Do your physical exercise with every cell of your body. You know, we're not just the head. And the male is very much involved in their mind and constant thinking. And, you know, you don't have quality of thought. You have quality of thought when you have a capacity to think about what you want to think about. And also to have 100% of your focus on what you're doing. 
But if your mind is constantly bombarded with thought, that's affecting your thought processes. That's affecting your clarity of thinking. And it's also affecting creative and original thinking because fresh ideas don't appear if the mind is thinking repetitively incessant. In order for fresh and creative and intuitive ideas, we need to create a gap between thoughts. And to to create that gap, focus on your breathing. Yeah, I think it's very, very valuable to have that introspection, to know your own body, to know how you react to things in order for you to be able to determine that you're in that overthinking state and that you need to maybe step out or step away from whatever you're doing to to put those practices in place. And I think that once you are able to do that, because it's not, I don't think it's easy, um, you know, you'll be able to control things in a much better way and get better outcomes. Yes, yeah. Don't set a goal that you are doing it because you want to achieve something. Make it your goal is to bring some attention onto your breathing. You will never waste time focusing on your breath. The other option is being constantly stuck in our head, asleep to life. And when you start focusing on your breathing, you miss less and you see more. Yeah, that's perfect. I think that's a a great point to, to finish on, Patrick. Thank you very much for coming on today. I really do appreciate it. It's a subject which, um, like I said, I'm, I'm fascinated about and probably could speak to you for hours about it. Um, but be, before we go, um, how can people connect with you? What's the websites, social medias, books and all the rest of it? Sure. The website is oxygenadvantage.com. And if you go to about, you'll see a link there for signs. So the okay. you know that'll, if people want to deep a little, a little bit deeper into it. And after all my giving out about Instagram, we finally joined it in the last 12 months. So our, <laughs> our handle is Oxygen Advantage and uh, yep. it's on Facebook as well. So, so yeah, so, you know, dig a little bit deeper into it, put it into practice and uh, see what it brings you. Absolutely. Well, like I said, thanks very much again. And yep. um, I look forward to speaking to you soon. Great. Great stuff, Darren. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Fitter Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe and I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes and a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com.